Oh, just ignore Buster. <laughs> I would never ignore Buster. Hello and welcome to Imagine Me and Yurikuma. I am Panda. I am your host and I am here with my co-host Alice. Hi, Alice. Hi, Panda. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. We are here also with Cass. Hi, Cass. Hello. How are y'all? I'm doing great. And I'm also here with... uh, the titular Spadaros of the Spadaro cut, <laughs> Yasha and Vana. Hi, guys. Hi. Yasha Spadaro, your real name. My totally real name. Yeah, totally real name. One of. Well, I mean, my that totally is that is names. the last real. The real well, yeah, half of that is real. Half of that is real. <laughs> the, the, the plot twist is that the half is Yasha. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Uh, you guys are getting a new cat soon, and I need to know all the details on this. When is the baby coming home? Saturday. Oh my gosh. Oh, child. Yeah. Uh, you guys have to travel across Canada to go pick up the baby. Yes. Well, well I have Yasha to, and, to. you know, considering the pandemic, I'm not exactly feeling super great about doing it. Especially because you are not the one of the two of you who is vaccinated. I'm not really worried about myself. I'm going to uh, be making a a travel kit of extremely... She wants me to wear goggles. I mean, at least I would say at minimum, like, double up on masks. I'm gonna. I'm like, I got this. (laughs) There are, I think, only two breeders in Canada that have Egyptian mouths. And I've wanted an Egyptian mouse since I was eight years old. And so we figured now was the time. Yeah, I'm excited for you. I'll I'll be excited when he gets here. That's yes. fair. It's it's a big to do until then. It's yeah. like one, one of those sorts of things. But we yeah. are we are excited. Uh other cat has no idea. <laughs> she has no idea what she's in for. She has no idea. She's not gonna be happy because she's very laid back. As you yeah. can tell from almost never ever mentioning her on the podcast ever. <laughs> You've met her. Um, yes. I can attest that Tweet is very chill. Yeah. She's going to have to deal with kitten hell. A baby. Yeah. That's going to be interesting for her. It'll be fun. Has she dealt with a kitten before? I don't remember that. No. Okay. Not since she was on. Well, you yeah. know, you never know. Sometimes when a cat, like an adult cat, is faced with like dealing with a little baby, it becomes like maternal mood. maternal instinct. Yeah, I'm wondering if she'll do that. She um, responds really well to kitten videos. Like whenever you watch like a cute kitten video mm-hmm. or whatever, she gets, she gets all stoked and, and like and looking looks around. around. Yeah. So I'm hoping it goes well. I, I think it'll be okay, because if we're being honest, Sam was always kind of a kitten at heart, so mm-hmm, I think definitely. she's going to recognize frenetic, ridiculous energy just jumping all over the place, so. Yeah, that's going to be familiar. I think that her. will suit her just fine for a few months. A few years ago, out. I was in a situation where I was living with, like, a partner, and we had their cat, and we ended up getting a kitten and we thought that because the the cat in question had previously like reacted very negatively to being around any other cats we thought that this was going to be a nightmare but he ended up like he wanted to protect the baby and he wanted to love Mm -hmm. and bathe the baby and it was very sweet and very adorable so i hope yes uh i hope that you have similar good experiences yeah we're hoping for Mm -hmm. it and like i said i've i've wanted this kind of cat ever since i was eight years old and first read about them as a child who also had like dream cat breeds i relate (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Well, Egyptian Mao's are basically the descendants of, if you look at any Egyptian carving of a cat, that's the breed. Yeah. Like those are the ones that they used to carve idols of and worship as gods. So it'll be kind of like having a piece of history. A little godling. You'll have to let us know what name you decide on. I assume you're going to wait until he gets there to kind of feel it out. Yeah. 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 You need to know. You can't name them first. I mean, what was it? We were, Because um, Tweety and Sam were Siamese cats, we were thinking about going with, like, yeah, Thai names. We never ended no. up sticking with that, though, so. Nope. I don't imagine we'll do that here. Probably not. <laughs> you it, have to. It's the name the that cat. they show up with that are like, that's it. Mm-hmm. That suits me. So. Yeah, I feel you. We'll see. I, I have to wait a little bit to kind of figure out, like, what sort of fits. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how we cast, feel about have it. Have you ever seen a picture of an Egyptian mouth? Well, I did I, post the pictures. I, the baby pictures. I was about to say, like, show, show, show us a picture. Should, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cass was not in the group oh, chat okay, where hold the on. pics were let posted. Me, so here, here. We need let me, all let me the christen the new chat. And here, uh, because the they'll chat. all be in this new chat that I created while we were talking, I will be able to share them on Twitter uh, with y'all's permission, of course. <laughs> I will be able to share them so the listeners can also see the babies because they are precious. Oh. And they the are children. They are oh so small. God. I know. <laughs> and oh my god! Oh, here's my beautiful just, children. Here's just a random picture of like you know what a nice what picture of one. Like. <laughs> That's like a photographer taking a picture yeah. of an Egyptian mouth. Oh, oh versus like what I'm pretty sure actually Polaroids. I love the Egyptian mouth because like it's it's named what it says. It's it's like they were like, what the fuck are you? Meow. The name of the planet that Luna comes from in Sailor Moon. Of course. But we're not here to talk about cats. We're here to talk about bears. Uh, Are you sure? uh, I mean, we could go on about cats. We could easily talk about cats for an hour. I'm not doubting this at all. But But we we are technically here to talk about bears. So we're here to do episode eight of the Spadaro Cut. This is the last episode of the Spadaro Cut because. After this, we have not put out any other previous episodes. However, there is a recorded episode nine of like our first or my first impressions and then like my conversation with Alice and Cass. I'm going to be putting that up on the Patreon. Ooh, I get to be bonus content. Yeah, you're going to be bonus content. Congratulations. I feel like I've been promoted. (laughs) Uh, but but this will be our last episode of things that we have already put out into the feed (laughs) and i have some feelings about this episode so Cass, as our resident summarizer of yurikuma and i would argue our our resident yurikuma expert of the uh the five of us present i feel Mm -hmm. like yurikuma stan is probably like a more appropriate title given given my my role on this show but yeah that's fair (laughs) our resident yurikuma stan can you tell us what happens in episode eight of yurikuma arashi yuri bearstorm love everybody always forgets the love bullet yep they really do including me so this episode is um horror movie meets takarazaka theater we finally find out what has been going on with yurieka the teacher who Mm. has been the obvious bad guy from like Day one is is it is it is it fair to say episode one? Yeah, that yes. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, j- j- she's been flashing bad guy flags this whole time, and we finally find out what her deal is, what Old her motivations President are. Hawkeye, who has not really <laughs> done anything to make herself not look like the end game villain, even though she's not technically the end game villain. Yeah, she's she's big toga in the first arc. <laughs> Real big, real big Toga, honestly. And like Toga, um, there is an element of predation going on here. Only in this case, it's a 
excruciatingly literal because Yurikuma is oops all the metaphors. <laughs> so we find out Yurika's backstory through a series of flashbacks as she kind of begins spinning her web to separate Kureha from Ginkgo because she has designs on Kureha. When she was younger and more naive and idealistic, she was friends with Kureha's mother. Before that, I should say, before that. Uh, she was taken in as a little bear cub by a very strange man, uh, one of the only male characters we see in the entire show who isn't one of the life trio. The only male character who isn't a bear. Yes. I was confused I the entire time because he looked like the girl she was fucking and then killed. That's- Uh, yeah. I, only yeah. a little bit, Yeah. Only a yeah, little bit. Little yeah, there is a there is a reason that he looks kind of girlish, and it is apparently, from what I understand, there was serious debate over whether they should have it be a male character or a woman, like dressed up like a man. This feels very Takarazuka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In, in the end, they deliberately decided to the character is amab but still dress like a woman playing a male part in takarazuka theater i'm sorry alice i have to admit i think i got about three lines of dialogue into him and then immediately started calling him not shitty miki <laughs> <laughs> well actually he dropped some pretty he pro he dropped some pretty intense uh, i feel like describing this man as not shitty is pretty bold <laughs> of you yasha <laughs> To be shitty, he would have to be more present. That's fair. Yes. I feel like he implants some pretty toxic, shitty ideas into Yurieka. Yes, but he's not bad at it. Like Miki <laughs> is. That's the rationale. I will say, looking at this, uh, the screen cap of him, he does look more like Kaoru than I originally thought. There, there are a couple of shots, yeah. So NSM, or not Kaoru if you prefer, raises Yurika from a cub, during which time he basically instills in her the idea that only things that are young and pure are worth caring about, and you need to preserve their youthful purity. And he couples this with the idea of preserving them things by putting them in boxes, like preserving flowers by pressing them. And hence you see why I made the connection with Miki. Oh, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. This character has arrived to inform the the lesbians of what their heteronormative expectations are in society. Yeah. Yes. Also, they were in the I just want to drag like no, like them young. I just want to drag this in here too. This sequence plus just the entirety of Miki and Kose in Utina has me convinced that Ikuhara has seen boxing Helena. I yeah, was gonna uh, ask. So yeah, he is definitely. You, hold on, briefly tell us about boxing. Yeah. I guess it's Helena. I've yeah. only ever listened to a podcast talk about it, so I don't know what. Yeah, I, I, I am. This is yeah. Okay. to um, me. Boxing Helena is a movie my mom showed me when I was like twelve. Which means it's terrible. Yes, <laughs> that's. I had I had a cool and good childhood. Do I don't know if basically it's, if it's if actually it has Sherilyn Finn, love of my life and my heart. So basically, if you take Miki and Kose and make them even more obsessed with each other to the point of like chopping off limbs, then you've got boxing Helena and not okay. siblings. Uh -huh. I feel like that's an important thing to mention. You not know, siblings. They could be siblings and it wouldn't matter. I'm just uh, saying. Jennifer Lynch is David Lynch's daughter. So that should give you an idea of what kind of film this is. It's more Cronenberg than Lin than like David Lynch, I find. But... Jennifer Lynch being the director. Yeah. I see. Wait, David Lynch has a daughter? I know, yeah. we have evidence that David Lynch is fucked. I'm not happy about David it. David Lynch procreated? How? <laughs> <laughs> who? His own mind? Sherilyn Finn, who played the titular 
Elena in this movie is Audrey Horn in Twin Peaks. But continue with the description of the film. Right, right, right. It is literally just what I said. Like, take Miki and Kose, make them even more obsessed with each other to the point of chopping off limbs, and that's pretty much boxing Helena. I'm getting the horror thriller vibe from this one. It is, in fact, a horror thriller. (laughs) It's a a horror thriller framed very much as an erotica. It is a mystery horror thriller thriller is according to wikipedia like it it's it's framed as kind of hot that he's cutting her legs off and stuff it involves a man so obsessed with a woman that he would do anything to have her in his possession including cutting off her below the elbow arms and below the knees legs it's kind of a reverse misery yeah kind of because she's into it a yeah. gender reverse misery. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, having... look, I could argue that the author was into it in misery, you know, <laughs> be a little bit. Stephen King wrote that about his fans, so I'm 100% sure the author was absolutely not into it in misery. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I'm having like an emotional kind of like pain here just trying to imagine Stephen King getting off to writing misery okay moving on what I've heard is that the movie is not good as much as people may want to watch it because it might be so bad it's good no I hear it is just not good so don't watch it it's you know I didn't really think it was that bad but I didn't it's not like good uh, I don't okay. think that your baseline for what is or is not bad is appropriate here because you have watched a lot of horrible things, Yasha. I really have. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm um, talking no. about for normal people, but I don't know if there are normal people that listen to this podcast. So No. Well, Boxing Helena was interesting, which is more than I can say for a lot of movies. Also, it came yeah, out so. the year that I was born. That's a weird thing to imagine. Now, let's continue. <laughs> I was about to say, a anyway. while back, you were talking about uh, Yuri Kuma. Yeah, the whole bride in the okay. box thing and the whole... Yeah. Uh... yeah. So after after establishing a, uh, a through line to, to, to cinema, <laughs> Yurieka grows up with these kind of toxic ideas embedded in her, and she eventually kills the man who is her kind of parental figure when he basically abandons her. Very callously, I might add. So he is hoisted by his own petard and devoured. The only marginally healthy period of her life seems to take place when, as an older individual, she meets uh, Kureha's mother. It is very obvious she is a bear, so Kureha's mother befriended her knowing she was a bear. This is pre-severance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is That's... pre-severance. Yeah. Yurieka spends, it's kind of implied to be a couple of years just being very close to Kureha's mother and growing ab- romantically obsessed with her. Yes. And then Kureha's mother has Kureha. Notably, we never find out who the father of Kureha is or if there even is a father. This it was world... spontaneous generation. Yeah, this world doesn't necessarily operate according to normal rules, honestly, so there might not be. Either way, Yurieka becomes jealously obsessed with baby Kureha, assuming, like, I believe her mother's name is Reina. You you have, all of her love has gone from me into you. No one can love more than one thing at a time. So I have to destroy you to get the love back. So she ends up killing Kureha's mother. I believe, like, literally on the day Severance happens, while it's happening, and kind of stalks and basically grooms Kureha her entire life up to the point the story is at, waiting for an opportunity to devour Kureha and turn her into her own little bride in the box. That's not disturbing. It's incredibly uh, not disturbing at all, no. Mm-hmm. We also get confirmation that she has received challenges from the Wall of Severance. And her question was, will you give up love or will you give up boxes? She picked boxes. So, uh... Love to be traumatized. Yeah. So that's a, uh, a thing. The climax of the episode, Ginko and Koreha are both lured to the roof... Uh, Kurei has has received proof at this point that Ginko and Lulu are bears. 
and she believes that Ginkgo definitely ate her mother. Yurieka goes, Ginkgo ate your mother, you should shoot her. And Kureha doesn't do it. She can't bring herself to take the shot until Lulu shows up, having read that mysterious note that was passed to her, and yells, Ginkgo, run away, it's okay, I know what you did, I know the, the bad thing you're trying to hide. She yells what that crime was, we don't hear it, what we do see is Kareha's reaction, which is immediately recovering her resolve to destroy all bears. I think the subtitles for this say, I'll ruin bears, which is <laughs> accurate, but also yikes. <laughs> and um, that was a choice. I will cancel just... bears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, she cancels Ginkgo with a big old shot, and we see Ginkgo falling off the roof. And that's the end of the episode. If you want to know how I compared this scene to an episode of the fairly odd parents check out the original cut of this episode oh god I you did that. i won't make the reference again because yasha and vana don't get my fairly odd parents references but uh mm-hmm. the listeners might so go check that out oh god i forgot you did that <laughs> i was there for it too all right so th- there you go that's the uh my long-winded summary of all of the Yurikumas. to start i feel like the best thing to start with and by best i say that with kind of air quotes yasha and fauna you have some similarities from this episode to scenes in utana so i feel like we should talk about that <laughs> Like, obviously, this has probably been happening this whole series, so, and I just felt like noticing it today, but, like, as I was watching the episodes, there were multiple, like, shot-for-shot matches to sequences in Utena. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's probably not that strange, but it does feel like it kind of upticked quite a bit. Like, there's a match shot to, like, when Anthe's running her face down, um... Running her hand down Utena's neck? Yeah. There's that one. There's... A shot for shot of, like, someone holding a locket that they use for jury, but that's not a, a strange one. There's a match to the pan shot of Akio with the golf putt, and there's a match to Toga's arms widening. They do more of these again in the next episodes. Also, I swear, like, did the backgrounds in some of these shots get more utiny? Yeah, I feel like, like the, the really art style changed. Background I feel like changed. the art style went up quite a bit more watercolor. Yeah. It does. Which, it, de- it definitely yeah. does a little bit. Yeah. Also, I, I just posted uh, that screenshot from this episode of unnamed dude character going, don't worry, I'll shelter you. This school is my box to bear lesbian bear child in her bassinet thing with a what? It's a planetarium. Yeah, it's a fucking planetarium. That's what that is, basically. It's, it's, immobile. it's an or It's same shit. It's a mobile, and it's very reminiscent of the one in Penguin Drum. And this shot is also very reminiscent of Mami and Mikage talking yes. at the Black Rose. What is it with Ikuhara animes and planetariums, or things that are planetarium adjacent? It's a very good metaphor. But my my the thing that it's making me laugh about this is so like. Basically, what they're doing there is the only person, the only girl in this school who was clearly nurtured by a man in some way, inherited all of his really bad, toxic attitudes about where her place is and... How people should relate to each other. Get there, yeah. How much she should value innocence and purity and blah, 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 blah. So, like, she's basically the Anthe. In a lot of ways, yeah. What if Anthe had just been the villain? Yeah, or, like, basically, like, she's become, like, a character who's made the way she is, even by, like, this extremely small influence of, of a male character that isn't even named in this in this series. But, like, I just think it's interesting that that's the moment that a dude shows up, is to teach this impressionable young girl the... Kunihiko, men ruin everything, Ikuhara. Yeah. And is he wrong? No. <laughs> no. No lies no, detected. So. so, like, I kind of like that. Also, it reminds me of that book we haven't read that we have about the Victorian dude that, like, raised a child to marry. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. The perfect wife or whatever. That sounds like the most Victorian thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, probably just regular Tuesday in Victorian England, if we're being honest. But like, yeah, so that that I did find interesting is that Ikuhara's explanation for why this one girl is so broken is is there was a dude. That's it. The only man <laughs> in this universe was involved. Pretty much the only man we've presented aside from that, like, fair court. This is really there not helping the whole thing that he has about women are pure, men are impure. Yeah. I don't think he actually believes that, but he definitely has said things along those lines. Well, when I don't, okay, so I don't know how this hits now. I'm going to actually ask y'all as modern people of the quilt bag and, and such, if this hits different now as you're watching it. But when Yuri Kuma came out, uh, frankly, it was not very well received. It didn't really get a whole lot of action. Penguin Drum had kind of turned off a lot of the Western fans. But people who did watch Yuri Kuma, like in the Western audience, commented frequently on that they felt that the main point or the main thing that Ikuhara is speaking to in this series is how male authors and male deciders of content dictate the terms of what's acceptable queerness for for lesbians in the in the genre and like the yuri genre and that that sucks and is bad and basically men ruin everything and lesbians can't just lesbian because men are deciding that it has to be that's like why there's like that sexy like oh so it has to be sexy for yeah it has to be cool beautiful or sexy to be acceptable yes otherwise it's bad one of the things that actually bothers me about that take, which is a very Ikuhara thing to put in here, mm-hmm. is that if that's what he's intending to say here, and I, I think it's reasonable to say that he might be, it bothers me because if he's talking about Yuri specifically, he's kind of wrong in the sense that he is repeat he would be repeating a oft-repeated and just kind of statistically not true idea that Yuri is largely made and consumed by... By boys. By boys, which is not really true. Mm-hmm. It's kind of actually really never been true. Mm-hmm. And it's this thing that is imposed upon it, oftentimes by men who assume that this is true, because I don't know, I it's it's projection, I guess. Oh, oh, oh. is this mentrification? There's, there's an assumption by men that if, like, if it's gay and it's sexy and it's turning them on it's that for it's for me and it's there's kind me. of this it's kind of like no acknowledgement of like the fact that like guys women can be incredibly horny like and shameless too it's it, it is not a a trait uh only held by men well the the acceptance of the concept of women being horny is i mean i will say relatively new in comparison to acceptance of men being horny it's not that new look i was there when the world discovered that women could be horny it's not new new but like people keep feeling like they need to rediscover the idea because they're just not listening to women i feel like i feel like there's some conflating going on then between the yuri genre and kind of hollywood which would jive with Ikuhara's obsession with Hollywood movies and and that sort of thing because in Hollywood it absolutely is the men who get to decide what women put on screen that's actually okay yeah yeah conclusion then to draw here and and this is a conclusion I would have very much hesitated to say at the time and I'm kind of hesitating to do it now because it sounds (laughs) so fucking me centric and embarrassing but i mean in that case is it possible here that ikuhari is commenting from a distance obviously an interesting one more on like is his perspective on what queerness looked like less informed by yuri genres that he is actually like culturally more exposed to and is this really I have watched every horrifying giallo movie and like this, this, this series is like every 30 seconds, there's an, an, a, a reference to something from Western popular culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It's a Suspiria reference. It's a Wizard of Oz reference. It's a I, Shining yeah. reference. It's yeah. A, yeah. I feel like, so, Cass, you were going to say something. That, well, I mean, I think I what I was going to say was just said, honestly. Okay. That it's very much... I was going to, like, build on what Alice said, because I, if this were about, like, the politics of Yuri, as in the kind of, like, art crowd who make Yuri doujins, who make, mm -hmm. you know, kind of these self-published or small press manga that mm -hmm. we kind of point to as the Yuri genre, quote-unquote. Right. Then this would be a completely, you know, just, like, a very poor representation of that, but... I don't think that's where Ikuhara was ever going. Uh, I think it's a lot more, a lot more likely in a lot of ways that he was focused on popular culture of Hollywood and potentially just like you know, just because like there's a quote unquote Yuri scene in Japan, that doesn't mean that's where all of the the mm -hmm. writing about ladies in Japan comes from, right? Like there is a much yeah. larger anime industry that ha has not hesitated to, for many years, play with the idea of, you know, we're going to have, write these tender, sweet, romantic friendships between female characters, but in a lot of cases will have an allergy to ever actually making the characters queer and kind of adopting all that comes with that. And mm -hmm. it's always this one particular way of, like, it's this young, very pure, innocent thing. And, like, there's nothing inherently wrong with pure, innocent, young love that, you know, could be just romantic friendship or could be actual romance. I, I'm not out here to, like, you know, fight the 1500 stands of Uma Musume. I know a lot of people who really like that kind of, like... I love Uma Musume. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, there are a lot of people who really love a lot of those shows, and I think... A lot of them, the best ones, have other elements to them that make them uh, recommendable. But I would even argue uh, also review Starlight. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of those shows really kind of lean into the the strength of bonds between female characters mm -hmm. and the inherent romantic tension between them, but kind of never go that one extra step and i think if there is a part of the anime industry that is being commented on it's that part it's not the mm -hmm. uh the small press yuri thing because that frankly i never got the impression that ikuhara was all that interested in that i mean like you see so many anime that come out that have these like close and intimate friendships between girls and uh it, i mean like it almost it's sort of adjacent to the class s thing where like they're like they're gay but they're not like really gay like the right. assumption is that like once the story is over they will grow up or you know i don't know i i'm not gonna put words in anyone's mouth but like the way it comes off is that it seems like once the story is over they will probably like grow up and quote unquote grow up and be into men or whatever the, the audience is encouraged to kind of yeah draw their own conclusion and it's not a draw your own conclusion as in does it really matter yeah it's draw your own conclusion as in we are straight up doing queer baiting we yeah. invented a new well, ex except that it's not explicitly the people making that content were themselves not straight and the reason that it reads that way is the same reason that you do. No, not class S, not class, we're not talking about class S, Alice. We're talking oh, about okay. anime in general. Yeah, no, I, I, was, no, oh, okay, I, I brought up class S because I was just making like a little bit of a comparison to how. Oh, right, right, right. There's a, right, right. There is a bit of similarity there. Yeah. I feel like it's. Hmm, Japan still thinks of like, like queer content as like, you know unserialized television yeah some like, of that's getting better it's okay but it's to not have the episode great. but you know you have to return to baseline at the end of the episode yeah and you know? that's really that i feel that is the impression that i get from yuri kuma is this like this critique of that sort of attitude towards queerness yeah yeah and i think it's like also worth 
you know, thinking about the fact that Yuri Kuma, if it wanted to be just an industry critique, I think that there are a lot of ways it could have been more pointed. Oh, sure. I'd argue it definitely has, like, a lot of ambition of trying to more capture the vibe of that while telling this really, Hmm. really... Honestly, kind of melodramatic soap opera, but very sweet love story. Yeah, nothing is one-to-one, and that's really yeah. the way that Ikuhara does most of his uh, allegory, is, like, you can't just, like, neatly map things onto, like, this means this, and this means this, and this means this. Like, it's mm-hmm. all about the whole thing. I feel like there's, like, a pattern in in Ikuhara's work kind of emerging, and... Like, again, I don't like to read into, like, Ikuhara or anything like that. But I I get, like, a lot of the time you have, like, theme like themes in Ikuhara's work where you have a bunch of young people who are probably queer trying to figure out how to queer in their little isolated world. And Ikuhara always has an adult presence that exerts some influence over them, but... I feel like Ikuhara is depicting in this the same thing he kind of pokes at in Utena and Penguin Drum and and Sarazan Mai as well. It's kind of like all of these are him trying to respond to the concept of queer people needing to shit or get off the pot about queerness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he's constantly like stress, like all of the characters he depicts are often at this like crossroads where they have to decide which thing they are. Mm Mm-hmm and answer to societal and cultural pressures to answer and in the case of this show you have the pressure from above even though that pressure is duplicitous at best because it's already a fucking bear but you also have the power of your like like the pressure of your own peers you have the exclusion group you like all of these pressures are put on these characters from every direction to make a choice for good or ill Mm-hmm. Um, obviously heteronormativity is the strongly emphasized superior choice in both Yurikuma and, and Utena and arguably in Sarazan, not in Sarazan so much because they kind of did yeah. another thing there, but like those pressures are all there and the answer can never be in Ikuhara's work. I don't know. Like, and I think, but that's the inconclusivity of his, uh, like, of like the results you get. Because his endings are always kind of vague or very symbolic or involve people turning into, like, cars and shit. Like, mm-hmm. the answer is always, what did you think the answer was, audience? Yeah. <laughs> kind of shit. <laughs> that he has to pull. You people think that, like, he's being metaphorical, but... Have you considered that he just genuinely thinks the solution to these problems <laughs> is to actually become a car? Yeah. Like, cars don't have problems. That will fix problems. But but I do feel like that's like a, a thing that Yurikuma is like, like pulling on and stressing a lot. Is what if Kureha just wants to be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. That, that's never like an acceptable answer. And I feel like, like Ikuhara has spent his life uh, being asked, hey, what are you? Either like in a queer sense or a what the hell kind of director are you? Or why do you have a fucking raccoon, dude? Yeah, <laughs> He gets asked what the fuck is going on with you a lot. And judging by his uh, track record and his storytelling here, his answer always should be, I don't know. And he's just really mad that that's not a viable answer. So he keeps <laughs> making anime about that. <laughs> Whether I'm sorry, it's... what was that about Raccoon? Oh, that's from... Uh, <laughs> oh. Well, I guess you guys can probably... A Raccoon co-wrote Ut- Utena. Okay, that's not the answer I was hoping for. Uh, what? There's a bit... That in... is the answer, though. There is a bit mm-hmm. in the, like the 20th anniversary ultra edition uh little oh there's a card of the raccoon too booklet that came Mm -hmm. with the utsuna blu-ray and it it was a real raccoon and he consulted it for story in one of the director's commentary bits he mentions a raccoon that he no he specifically says that he consulted the raccoon for story ideas yeah Yeah. Did, did it help what do you think? <laughs> yes. Honestly, yeah, yes. probably. probably. <laughs> I, I, I firmly believe that this raccoon has been his silent yeah, I mean, partner on multiple productions now, and if we don't find it, 
we will never know the full secrets of Ikuhara's oeuvre. Mm. I would tend to agree. Okay, we, we've talked a lot about other things, but we haven't actually stressed or, or looked at the, the elephant in the room that is Ikuhara's commentary on the psychosexual trauma of uh, female relationships being disrupted by the presence of babies for whom all of that interest has to be then redirected. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Actually, actually, what was it you said? She was all like, Eureka, just embrace your inner Nanami. And I was like, yeah, just chuck that baby in a box and send it down the river. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that is her plan. Exactly. Yes, that is her, word. Except she, that she, she plays the long, the long game. game and lets the baby grow up when she should have just... It's much harder to put the baby in a box if it's grown. Yeah, you have to get a the right idea. Okay, you deal with okay. that problem right there. You kill it in its crib. And well, there we you go. Gotta let, you gotta let that brain meat mature or it doesn't count. No. You know, no, no, no. no. Keep your friends close. <laughs> Put your enemies in baby coffins. <laughs> that sure is a hell, of, a hell of a thing you just said. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, anyway, now that we've all uh, become cursed by God and we'll no, be suffering no. torment. No, what happened in my head was even worse because I flashed back to that one picture of the Juggalo baby funeral. I'm sorry. Um, what? <laughs> Hold on. I feel like I feel like we don't have time for this. What we will do is after we're done recording, I'm going to write down a note for myself. This is Juggalo baby funeral right now. And after after we are all done, I will ask you to tell me elaborate. I just no. There's no. There's no content. There's nothing. That Uh, it's just a picture. That teacher totally has the Karen hair. She's a Karen. She does. She does kind of have Karen hair. It's it's so much more obvious in bear form, where it's just the little like the little curl. Thing. Oh my god, she's an evil Karen. The patriarchy raises evil Karens, evil lesbian Karens. There, that's all I know about it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> wow, I feel really sad now for reasons I can't describe. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Wow, that's legitimately the worst thing you've ever shown me, and not as a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not a bit. That's just me no, being that's... very serious. Oh, oh, the other thing that happened when we were watching this episode, the door of friendship opening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and I was like, why did I think that that wasn't no, going to open? We, we literally were watching this episode, the door opens, and there's like a 20-second delay before we're like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know why. I, I don't know why we that. didn't just, yeah. yeah. It, just, it was just that, like, degree of, like, you've accepted Ikuhara's nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just went without question that the fucking door was going to open. Of course it was going to open. It, why did I ever think it wasn't going to open? <sighs> Friendship door. Mm-hmm. I... Okay, we should, because we're going to record two episodes, we should probably wrap this one up soon. Okay. So that we can start so, on the next one. Yeah. Uh, um, no, because oh, I want to get to the next one so I can stand my queen. Yeah. But but I would just like to point out that yet again, Ikuhara is a complete asshole because we get to the end where Kureha is about to shoot Ginko and then she like, no, I can't. And then the teacher's getting all mad. And then Lulu shows up, and then thunder crash, and you don't hear anything else. Yeah, like, no, it's great. Fuck you, bro. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's a uh, big. What's that movie that started that trend? What movie? The World War Two one. Hmm? Saving which? Private Ryan. Oh, oh, I haven't seen that. Started that trend. Ugh. I mean, I'm familiar with it. I've just never seen it. Neither have I. But seriously, though, like. Oh, that was a cheap shot. Come on. For once. Right, okay. right, in, right in my feelings. Mm-hmm. Not my beautiful you child. He does an entire Godfather Part 3 nod yeah, for but several that's, minutes. That's still the cheapest thing I've ever seen. The the whole 
thunder crackling and then you can't hear what anybody <laughs> says and then Ginko gets shot. No, that it's is like, not the cheapest cheap. thing we've ever seen. Ikuhara okay, wait. Do. What is then? Oh my god. Like, how can I pick from so many cheap shots Ikuhara makes? No, that was the cheapest. Uh... No, because he literally just did the just kidding gag, I think, in the next episode. And that was the cheapest shit. No, no. This one actually made me frown. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is that is the Ikuhara podcast. Yeah. It's an omission is for us to decide when is Ikuhara being the cheapest and the shittiest. It was then. It was definitely then. That was, was the, almost It was then that he refused to carry you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do we feel about this episode? I enjoyed it. It was very atmospheric. I like getting some backstory for Yurieka. Yeah, I'm actually kind of um, question mark surprised that you're getting much in the way of backstory for her uh, after um, Ikuhara shit the bed so hard on adult backstories with Penguin Jerk. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that after we're done uh, yeah. with the show, for sure. That was, that was, he tread a little more lightly here this time, but... Yasha, what did yeah. you think? Um, I very much enjoyed the Boxing Helena uh, associations. <laughs> I'm fairly sure he's seen it. I wouldn't doubt it. It seems like something he would have watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely feels like his kind of thing. I'm also liking the the dark lilies. Yeah. yeah. Was, this, was this the episode that uh, they mentioned the smell of the lilies? Or was that next episode? Ooh, I believe yeah, it was episode this episode they bring it up because it's like has something to do with uh Eureka and like smelling other people on other people etc oh, oh right. no 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 it was next episode oh, okay. oh was that it episode? Was next Dang episode. It. Ah! next episode ask the perfume nerds about yeah why anyway <laughs> that's the case but i'm i'm liking the whole black lily arc thing that's that's fun um, and like the like the the things behind in the in the chairman's wing over there but it's like the walls of nemro mm-hmm. hall because it's a mausoleum the filing cabinets you mean yeah 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 i also don't know why i was like we're never gonna see inside those filing cabinets of course <laughs> we were i i was like there are humans in the filing cabinet <laughs> you one. were right actually uh, yeah, i was wasn't i it's yeah. a morgue it's a morgue okay that's pretty fucking metal though i that that is metal my office is a morgue all right um alice how did you feel about this episode I like this one. It I don't like it quite as much as the ones before and after it. It's it's one of those things where like it's necessary. It's necessary as a plot beat, but it doesn't have quite the aesthetic appeal of the one before it or the um the now I understand everything of the one after it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> Cass, how do you feel about this episode as our resident Yuri Kuma stan? Um my general stance on every Yurikuma episode is pretty good. Uh, this one is one of the block of episodes around the end of the show that I consider one of my favorites. Just because I really like the way that Yurika's backstory is presented. And uh, she successfully did what any good villain needs to do at any point, which is uh, scare me. <laughs> I am genuinely terrified of this woman. Not because I think that she's, like, inherently the most dangerous being on Earth or something, but, like, I kind of found myself, like, almost sympathizing with her at multiple points when she's doing awful things. Oh, and I it's absolutely like, sympathize yeah. with her yeah, it's, it's way like, more than most other Ikuni villains, honestly. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, once you get to the point where you, like, catch yourself doing that reflexively, uh, I feel like there is a level there where you can say the villain has kind of succeeded because in telling her story, because it is all kind of, all that flashback is from her perspective as she's reflecting on her own memories for her own benefit. Yeah. Um, you can kind of argue, like, she's kind of almost persuaded you that, like, you know, she she really does have, you know, that she, she really is justified in this unnatural hatred of Kureha. Mm. And this obsession with the idea of, like, you know, Kureha needs to die so I can finally feel fulfilled again because Kureha being born at all is this awful tragedy in my life. You know, weirdly enough, I think I had the, 
Hmm. Not quite the same experience, which is strange because usually I sympathize with the, the villains quite a bit more. For me, it was more like watching somebody vote Republican. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, that is so. That's how I yeah. feel when any of my friends come out to me as straight. Ooh. <laughs> Sick. Love it. Oh, my Lord. But, like, I mean, I Where understood I her life? reasoning, and I understood why it affected her, but at no point was I sitting there going, yeah, that's what I would do. And I'm really not afraid to sympathize with really horrible people, so... Um, yeah, really. it's, I mean, it's like, I, there, there is that. not a world, I think, in which any of us would groom and stalk a child of a former friend for years after murdering her mother no. so yeah. that we can, like, do this weird kind of ritualistic murder to her. Is this, like, bad Snape? Bad Snape? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry, what is good Snape? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you are implying the existence of a good version of this. Good Snape is I raised this child to protect them, and bad Snape is I raised this child to eat, eat them. them. I okay, raised this Snape child to fuck me. Snape, <laughs> I mean, that's 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 AO3 Snape, but... Wow. Yeah. Right. Walking right back down that tunnel to hell. I feel like that's a good place to end the episode. Uh, If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at or That's me. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtanaCast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Alice. Where can people find you online? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at LyreWolf, which is L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Cass, you do not have social media. What would you like to plug tonight? Big Steppy, uh, Alice and I's giant robot podcast, mostly Gundam focused, but real robot in general is our purview. You can find us at SteppyCast, S-T-E-P-P-Y-C-A-S-T, on Twitter.com. And Yasha and Fauna, what would you, where can people find you online? You can always find us at O-H-T-O-R-I dot N-U, or you can find us on Twitter at O-H-T-O-R-I underscore N-U. And we have a Patreon where we are going to have some cool merch coming out soon. Very excited about that. We are like literally like $15 away from Alice forcing me to watch, I guess, either Wolf's Reign or Sura Nowoto. We have not, the no one has decided yet, but I'm hoping it's Wolf's Reign. It's probably going to be Wolf's Reign, but... um... But if the person who actually puts us over the edge decides that they want you to watch Sound of the Sky, then I guess we'll watch Sound of the Sky. I tell you what, if if you don't watch that and you get significantly more than $15, Alice and I will do a spin-off podcast for Sora No Woe. Oh, God. Because <laughs> we both love that one. So. Or if you would like to get in contact with us, you can do that at our email address, which is gmail.com. We also have a Google form for if you would like to come on the show. Uh, I have that in our pinned tweet on Twitter. And that is for if you want to talk anything Ikahara. It doesn't have to be Utana. It doesn't have to be any any specific Ikuhara thing, you can just let me know in the form and I'm sure we will make that happen. So uh, I guess that's the end of this episode. So gal gal. Gal gal. Look for the fairness.